All right, all right. Welcome back to Gaming Compute. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, this podcast we talk about finance overall and some side hustles. Lately, we've been talking a lot more about career-related topics, maybe shifting careers, thinking about careers. Um, I was giving more thought to to things, kind of like diving more into kind of like my emotional state and frustration with my current work situation and was starting to realize you know that I was kind of identifying more and more like what it is that is frustrating me about my work site um so in general you know what I want to talk about is kind of how the healthcare system's set up right like the U.S. in general, you know, um, we set up a lot of our, any, any type of company is kind of set up, not any, but a lot of companies are set up as a type of an arbitrage, right? So it's like you are getting one thing from one place and offering it at a rate where you as the company owner is making a profit. I mean, we see that that that's something that's like, you know, if you take something as simple as eBay, right? And that's not really what I'm talking about here, but something as simple as like retail arbitrage through eBay, you know, if you have a source that sells a certain type of baseball card brand cheaper than anywhere else, you basically can purchase that and sell it at a profit you know, because you're competing with all the other people who sell it, you can still potentially list it lower than other people who are selling it either on that platform, on other platforms, on all sorts of platforms, you know, and you can list it lower than it's seen in stores, lower than it's seen anywhere else. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, people do that through like DHgate or other kind of like, you know, uh, sites in China that make a cheaper version of whatever the heck it is that you're trying to resell. And so with resell, you know, arbitrage, usually that's how it works. You know, the person trying to make the profit is able to identify a resource that they can get their hands on that's cheaper so that when someone else buys it off of them at a price that's higher than they paid for it, they then make a profit. And if they're able to identify what people call like a winning prod- product in certain niches that, you know, a lot of people are searching for anyways, and there's already a lot of traffic being driven towards this product, people are already naturally searching for it, and you have it listed on a platform, ideally where you don't even have to, you know, advertise necessarily other than just posting it, people are naturally just going to search on those sites like eBay, Craigslist, whatever the heck and purchase your stuff um and you're gonna make a profit just naturally from having access to a cheaper a cheaper uh version of it and being able to list it and sell it and if it's in good condition and you're getting fine reviews and there's no real scammy issue with the product at all then that's a decent business you know you just happen to have access to it and you're giving them that for maybe even cheaper than they can find it elsewhere but it's 
you know, still a discount or maybe a quicker shipping rate or, you know, right in their local area. So maybe if it's depending on the platform, like offer up or something, maybe you can deliver it to them or whatever the heck it is. Um, if it's really something in demand. And so we see this in the healthcare system too, in a weird way. And maybe I'm not using the right word. Maybe it's not called arbitrage, but you know, I noticed this, you know, it was kind of hitting me in my field, um, in psych that this is kind of what's going on, right? The people at the top of the insurance are the ones that are saying, what gets covered by the insurance? What doesn't get covered by the insurance? What a patient has to pay for out of pocket? What a person is going to get covered by connecting to this insurance that they opted into, that they qualify for, um, what the insurance is going to pay for, right? So the situation I'm running into is I'm, I'm getting frustrated that the insurance doesn't cover everything, right? um, for the people that we serve. And it's not that they're not aware that the people need these things is just that, you know, it comes down to money, you know, if they start offering this, paying for this, for these clients, then that company is going to start to lose money. You know, the insurance is going to lose money, because they're paying for stuff that costs them more money than they're willing to actually spend. So um, I'm kind of talking in like, in like, I'm kind of dancing around the around the main uh, point I'm trying to make here, but I can give some more specific examples. So the clients we serve don't have money, right? That's how they qualify for their specific insurance in the first place. They get Medi-Cal because they don't make a lot of money. So that's already the major issue. And also, second to that, not only do they not make enough money, but a lot of them either are in a current position where they don't have access to, you know, enough education or enough um, training to be able to get a solid paying job where they can support themselves fully at the moment. So either they're out of some kind of a recovery situation or something as simple as they're like in their 20s, they graduated college, they don't have a lot of work experience, they're making $15 an hour working at McDonald's or wherever they're working at right now, and they're not making a lot of money, even though they're able to work a 40-hour work week, they're underpaid, especially if you think about how much San Diego costs, how much um, LA costs, how much Southern California costs in general. Um, even if they're working full time, they they don't necessarily qualify for, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, the benefits, the health care benefits um, past what Medi-Cal would offer. Um, so they they don't make a lot of money. They're not making enough money. They're not trained long enough. They haven't been working long enough to just pop into another job. Maybe they haven't fully graduated. Maybe they still owe bills, so their degree isn't posted, so they don't really have their bachelor's technically, so they can't really apply in their field. So they're stuck working at these other kind of jobs until they can get the money, until they can pay for for the bill for the school, so they could release their degree, and then they can apply in their field. So it's like a lot of it, it just boils down to money. They can't afford 
to pay out of pocket for breathing machines, for electric wheelchairs, for um, certain medications, certain types of in-home services, uh, housing that's like stable and you don't get stuck with all these like weird roommate situations or unstable other people or sharing a room as a grown adult at an ILF with people that are, you know, maybe not emotionally fully stable or who are triggering other people to be using substances or who are not fully managing their own symptoms and having this stressful household environment because that's all that they can afford, um, even if they are working. And then we have the people who should be on disability but don't have disability either because they've been denied and their case isn't considered severe enough for them to be able to get disability, but they don't get it. Um, either they're in progress of trying to get it or they don't, they don't have it yet or they're never going to get it. Um, but then they also aren't able to work enough to be able to support themselves fully, so they still qualify for Medi-Cal. Um, it all boils, boils down to money, because if they could make money, they wouldn't have to rely on the insurance to cover the stuff that they need for their physical and mental health. But they can't make the money, and the insurance doesn't provide everything that they need. Our goal at my work site is, because the insurance has identified so many people using the ERs, using the hospital systems... Like, they're not saying don't use the ER, don't use the hospital, but they, from their perspective, there's an issue with the engagement of these clients in services, and on the surface, that's what it looks like, and initially, a lot of times, that's what it looks like, that, you know, we are told the people that we can connect to, um that don't have a doctor, haven't seen their doctor, have been utilizing a high utilizer of ERs, hospitals, you know, have all these unmanaged symptoms with their heart conditions, with mobility, walking issues, with pain conditions, with substance relapse issues, with not having access to psychiatric medications, with not having housing and using the shelters and then popping in and out of the hospital for stuff. Um, not having transportation to and from appointments, like all sorts of, this is just like classic, this is just basic stuff. I'm not even talking about the details. These are just like on the surface when you just breeze by a spreadsheet, that's what you see on the surface. You see all these things. These are all the things that we see that we're told the clients don't have all this stuff. They're utilizing these services only as far as like hospitals, ERs, it's costing the insurance a lot of money. They direct us to have access to all that, that information, and we have the patient information, and our goal is to kind of cold call and connect to these clients to get them engaged with us, um, to enroll in our program with our goal of connecting them to enough support services that they no longer are solely relying on the ER and hospitals as like urgent mad urgent ways to like fix whatever the problem is at hand right so eventually they'd get connected to everybody the psychiatrist the therapist the case management the you know medical case management the you know all the specialists for their heart and you know nephrology and all all sorts of specialists like endocrinologists all sorts of people you know pain management 
pain doctors, surgeons of all kinds, neurology, you know, they, they get a whole list of people that, you know, they're able to connect with and meet with. And a a lot of times, not all the time, a lot of times that helps on the surface because now they have appointments. Now they've got a lot of eyes on them. Now, you know, a lot of the stuff on the surface that's making them come into the hospital is getting resolved. But that's not the end of the story. That's just step one. Because now that they're connected and they're engaged and they're going to their appointments, ideally, you'd want to see that they're getting better. You know, whatever their presenting problem is, is decreasing either the physical or mental health or the you know lack of resource uh, connection is decreasing to a point where they're now more functional than they were before because they now have all these services, right? The discrepancy that we notice that's frustrating me, and I wasn't really able to really articulate this very well, was that what I noticed is once they pass this first phase and they're connected to every single thing, what ends up happening is there's always something that it comes down to that the client needs to help them with their well-being Um, and stabilization to continue that the insurance doesn't cover there's always something that the client needs that the insurance doesn't cover you know and that is creating distress with the client and we're kind of stuck holding the bag right so they're connected to us we're their go-to last line of defense person that helped connect them to all these other services and so they assume okay you're so closely connected with the insurance because the insurance contracts our site contracts us to work under them more directly under the insurance so we have access to knowledge of all the types of referrals all the types of things we can recommend um, all the stuff that they would qualify for and it's up to the client to opt in it's up to the doctors to fill out these authorizations or appeal for denied authorizations to get certain services it's up to the insurance to say yes and approve it and pay for it so the client can get it So we have things like wheelchairs that people need so that they can, you know, get around town and go to a volunteer place because maybe they're staying in a temporary shelter that they can only have the bed in that shelter if they are volunteering um, however many hours a week and they're not able to get there because they can't walk. And the insurance doesn't cover the wheelchair. So what's going to happen if they can't pay for the wheelchair? They can't pay out of pocket. And these are the only options we have, right? Change insurance, change to a branch of something that does have access to what you're trying to get. But that might screw up some of your other services because not all the insurance branches cover all the all the stuff that every single other one covers. So say you might get a wheelchair here, but now they're not covering your heart meds over here anymore, you know? So you can only have one. You can only connect to one. So if you change insurance, if you don't like if you don't do the whole due diligence process, you might be losing out on 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 uh, opportunities on on options. You know, you're kind of forced to choose which is the best branch to be connected with. So that's one option, you know. Uh, You have the other option of, you know, have the provider, you know, the doctor, the specialist, send an authorization over, you know, to the insurance. Um, If the insurance denies it because it's not covered, there's the appeal process 
But eventually, they say no in the appeal. And once they've appealed they and they say no, there's only so many times you can appeal before it becomes apparent that they're just never going to cover the thing, right? Um, and so instead of getting the wheelchair, for example, maybe the goal of the insurance is have them go through you know, two or three rounds of physical therapy to see if that works. And then we can authorize, you know, we can approve the authorization for the wheelchair. I mean, three rounds of physical therapy is up to six sessions. That could be two sessions a week or one session a week or so. So that's for once for one round of six sessions, that's at least three weeks. So for three rounds, that's between three and 18 weeks. You know, is your temporary shelter going to let you stay in that bed if you need, if you need um, that much time, you know, to not be mobile and to go through physical therapy till you can get the wheelchair so you can get the electric wheelchair and get around town the way you need to so you can actually find a volunteer site. So you can volunteer at like, you know, um, a store or, you know, a clothing, a food bank or something like that, you know, so you can volunteer somewhere um, to contribute. They want the people in certain shelter programs, the better, some of the better shelter programs, you have to be more actively involved. So you have, so in order to have maybe like a bunk bed with you and and one roommate in like a house style place, as a shelter versus like a shelter that's like a camp out in the middle of some lot somewhere with like a tent with like hundreds of beds where you're just like in a tent with a bunch of people like that you know everyone would probably rather choose the household environment with the one other roommate and maybe five other rooms and there's staff who lives on site and there's a kitchen and chores and a tv and you know a schedule versus you know going into the tent shelter and then they kick you out at five in the morning and then you're just left to kind of like wander around until you know it's it's less comfortable and so the less comfortable shelters don't really require you to do too much even though it takes long to connect to anything directly and then the more comfortable shelters have requirements but if you have health care or physical or mental health needs that aren't being met by the insurance covering what you need so you can stay in the shelter you're now at risk of losing that better shelter and you might end up on the street you know, so that's an option, you know, either changing insurance or seeing if your whatever site you're connected with is is going to let you stay there long enough to get through, you know, this process to see if you can get the wheelchair by like that, I don't know how many weeks later. Um, that's just one scenario. That's just one scenario. I mean, think about people who need like breathing tanks, you know, or like a breathing machine, you know, they have the mobile breathing machines with the battery versus like the one that like gives you the rolling thing where you have like the, the tanks on it. If you have a walker and you need the breathing machine, you need the battery. If you're going to go out and walk with your walker, you can't use the, the handheld, um, little, uh, little, you know, carrier with the tank as at the same time as you have a, a walker, you can't do all of that at the same time. Um, 
I mean, you're already using a walker because you can't walk properly. And so to have to add an extra luggage to you, you know, and it's, you know, connected to your breathing, it's like, you know, and then they wonder why are people missing their appointment? You know, it's like stuff like this where it's just like, okay, well, if the insurance would cover the battery for the mobile one, you know, or if the insurance would do what the person needs them to do for them to function properly. I mean, those are just a couple of examples, you know, mobility issues with like breathing devices, like it's called DME, durable medical equipment. There's a lot of durable medical equipment that's not covered by the insurance. And you think about how it's impacting a person's ability. And then another option for the client is to pay out of pocket or to ask family. A lot of them don't have stable family members that they need to be in contact with because it's toxic relationships and or people just already don't have money in the first place and they feel like they're burdening their family members and it's like their family members aren't really supposed to have to be responsible for electric wheelchairs for batteries for breathing machines for driving them all over the place all over town to and from appointments to making sure they have access to their pain meds so that they're not using other illicit substances all this kind of stuff, guys, all this kind of stuff. Like, it's it's such a frustrating situation because, you know, I see now why it's like, this is what I spend my time doing is trying to go back and forth between these sites, talking to this person. Can you please fax over to the insurance this information because they need the authorization to approve to see if they can approve it? Yes, we sent it over talk to the insurance they the doctor said they sent it over the insurance states we didn't get it talk to the doctor again they didn't get it can you please send it a second time yes i'll send it a second time they send it over to the insurance can you please confirm the doctor sent it a second time did you receive it yes we received it it's going to be however many days for us to process this paperwork and they might not know the time frame and then they might or might not and then you try to get a time frame you try to follow up within a timely manner to see was it accepted or denied usually a lot of times it's accepted and then we just move on if it's not accepted, with a lot of cases, there's always going to be something that the client eventually needs, which is what we're running into nowadays, is the client eventually finds something that they need for their well-being that the doctors are recommending that the insurance won't cover. So they're asked to appeal, and then they appeal it, and then the insurance doesn't accept it. So I call the insurance and ask, you know, okay, why wasn't it accepted? You know, do you need more documentation from the doctor? I'm going to call the doctor one more time and see what they need from you to see what they can do if there's like a second appeal process, if it's still denied. Usually it requires progress notes of other stuff that they've tried that didn't work properly the way the doctor thought it needed to work for the client to be more stable and so the doctor needs to provide progress notes to prove okay we tried physical therapy 18 sessions later they're still not better so can we please approve this electric wheelchair you know they provide the information if the insurance still is is declining you know to pay um because it's not um 
it's not a qualifying type of medical equipment. And for some reason, they don't consider the appeals that the doctor sent to be adequate to waive that decision, then we're just kind of left with, sorry, you, you can't get your wheelchair. And so the client's left to try to figure out, how do I get a wheelchair? It's either I get a wheelchair so I can get around town. <clears throat> I find a way to get transportation to get me to and from around town. Or uh, like better transportation, like a direct ride, which isn't usually covered by insurance. Um, they kind of do cover some transportation, but the transportation, again, doesn't always show up or doesn't show up on time, or doesn't follow the instructions, or shows up and then leaves, and so the clients, like, 50% of the rides either don't show up to take them to the appointments, and the other 50% don't show up to take them home from the appointments, and so we're left with this frustrating situation that they don't even have basic transportation to and from appointments, let alone to do all the other errands and stuff they might need. There's no, like, easy solution for the transportation other than if you have a disability that a doctor can write off on and you go to the homeless support center to to get what's called a handicap placard you get the placard and the placard qualifies you for you know a bus voucher like a public transit voucher not free but a reduced rate voucher um i mean this is so this is just so stupid i mean i i you know, I just get frustrated with it because it's like these are the people in our society that <clears throat> they cannot work. <clears throat> Excuse me. They cannot work. They cannot work to support themselves. So they rely on the healthcare system to be able to support them. And the healthcare system, somewhere, somebody's making a decision that says we can't pay for this specific stuff. There's a list of things through Medi-Cal that Medi-Cal does not cover. Um, whether that's a certain, you know, like say if somebody needs, they notice that the medications work for them at 100 milligrams. Um, but, you know, if they need 100 milligrams worth of it per day, but the doctor can only, um, and the doctor says it's fine for them to take 100 milligrams, but the insurance only pays for 20 milligrams um, of the medication. And then since the doctor only pays for 20, since the the insurance only pays for 20 milligrams, the client's left with the decision, okay, the doctor says I can take more, but then I'm going to run out because they can only send you a certain amount per month. So if you need 100 milligrams per day, but you're only allowed to get 20 milligrams per day, you get a twenty a thirty day supply of twenty milligrams each day versus a thirty day supply of a hundred milligrams each day. If you're taking a hundred milligrams each day, then after the fit the f fifth day, you're running out of medications. So then you have twenty five more days that you don't have medications. So you're either asking for refills too early and then you get flagged, or you know, you're going back and forth with your doctors or try to see if the doctor can prescribe more. <sighs> it's like, okay, well, if it doesn't work at a lower dosage and the insurance isn't willing to pay for the higher dosage, but they're willing to pay for the lower dosage, it's like, 
I don't know. I mean, like, what what's going to happen, you know? Like, and I mean, I know, I know that, that, you know, there are people on all sides of these arguments that say, you know, if people can't pay for what they need, if they can't work and they can't pay, then they shouldn't have access to everything. But then it all trickles down to the other people, you know, the taxpaying people, the other people, you know, the system is just like so screwy where it's like there are people at the top of these companies who are making bank because, you know, they've decided, you know, if we can allow for this stuff, but if we just make sure that they can't have this other stuff that's more costly, then, you know we're still going to make more money. You know, that's kind of why I was mentioning at the beginning about like arbitrage. It's kind of like a weird form of it where it's like give them less or less the the least amount of services that helps the most but still limiting the other support so they're not fully getting all the 100% support that they need, but they're getting just enough support but not fully all of the support that they need. And it's not a very direct method either. I mean, people like me know the system. You know, we have worked with these systems for years, half a decade, a decade, two decades, one and a half decades. Most of the people I work with have worked in this field at least four, five, six, seven years. Um, A lot of them are near like 10 years and we can't even find solutions, you know? So it's like, there is no solution other than the ones I mentioned, the few solutions, change insurance branches to a branch where they have other service options, but then you might be at risk of not getting some of the stuff that you already have covered. So you might have to make that decision. Okay, maybe I don't need these meds as much as I need these other ones. Maybe I don't need that doctor that I really like that I've been seeing for the past five years. It really helps me out and I'm willing to drop that doctor to have a different doctor because they offer this different type of operation that I'd like for my eyes that's covered because I need that. Or they offer this other dental service or stuff like that. And the frustration that, you know, so there's that. There's that. There's the there's the options of, you know, switch insurance, find a way to pay for it out of pocket which who knows, but sometimes clients do find some random method of, you know, getting themselves into debt or, you know, a family member or some kind of church program that might pay for them or something like they might find something and that's super rare. We can't rely on them finding something like that. Uh, But when they do, we just like praise hallelujah. At least they found something, you know, and we move on from that. You know, it's like, okay, problem resolved next. What's the next problem? You know? Um, and yeah, so that's the option, you know, pay, move insurances or just go without just, okay. I don't need to walk and breathe at the same time. So I'll just stay at my house with my breathing tanks because I can't get around with the walker and the breathing tanks. So I'll just stay home, you know, go without, you know. Um, I'm just going to completely go without. I'll just go without my meds for 25 days out of the month and have five good days and 25 bad ones, you know. Um, I'll just go without, you know, shelter because I couldn't get a wheelchair, you know, because, you know, it just didn't work out. 
I'll just go without shelter and be on the streets until I get connected with the case management program that's eventually going to house me because I can't stay in the better shelter because I can't do the volunteer work because I can't get around to get to and from the volunteer place. Um, I mean, I've only mentioned a couple examples, but I'm just putting it out there because this is what it looks like. For someone in in my field working with these situations, I've got 39 clients that all have situations that can't be resolved by the insurance. And still, I'm calling them all the time. I'm calling the providers all the time. I'm talking to the clients all the time. And it's like, you can kind of tell sometimes when something's just not going to work out. And then it's like, okay, at the end of the day, what do you do with that? And if you have 39 people where that's the scenario... I mean, and then we're trying to add people to our caseload and drop people who, not drop, but like we call it graduation. You know, we we graduate the people who no longer need the services, meaning we've done all we can for them. Um, And for us to call them once or twice a month is kind of pointless at this point in time because the services don't exist that they need. And if they don't just need the emotional support for the calls and check-ins, if they don't just need our emotional support, then um, um, if they don't just need our emotional support, then then that's that, you know. If they don't need our emotional support, then we'll be um, not needing to call them, or they might not directly tell tell us that they don't need our support. So then we'll be trying to call them every month and then they're just like blocking our calls or not contacting us until they actually need something. But it's like, okay, I could have been helping other people if you didn't really want me to call you. But it's like sometimes they just want to stay on just in case they need something, even though they can re-enroll. Like we can always graduate them and then we can just re-enroll them if something comes up and we can just roll, roll them back in the system again with us and connect them to us again we can work with them again um that's usually not an issue but usually they don't feel too comfortable just like actively disenrolling themselves and so you know they think maybe we'll hold it against them or won't like allow them to come back in because maybe we did help them at least a little bit and then they don't want the help they don't want us to like completely stop calling them but also like they don't really have like an immediate need um but they also don't want to engage so it's like uh i mean no job is going to be perfect but it's like at the end of the day i see it like you know i was thinking about this and i think about this often that i don't think i've served one client in the population that i work with not saying that every single person who has medical has a history of trauma but within the mental health system that I've worked in with clients with that, that qualified for the specific services of the sites I've worked at, I don't think I have had anybody on my caseload that, that didn't experience some form of trauma, even if they weren't formally diagnosed with PTSD or like acute stress disorder or some kind of like trauma symptom coming up, even if it's not a formal diagnosis. I don't know one person who doesn't have a history of trauma and I don't know one person like I haven't had one client who doesn't have a trauma history I haven't had one client who doesn't have a history of 
poverty impacting them in their youth in some manner or another, whether that's their parents, you know, grew up in poverty and just didn't know how to like talk to the client about, you know, not, they weren't a client, but talk to my client who was their child about, you know, the, you know, the situations that were going on or like unidentified or untreated, um, or unformally diagnosed, um, um, learning disabilities of certain kinds or intellectual disabilities of certain kinds, because again, you know, maybe the parents didn't know the educational system too well to like identify and be like, yo, like my kid doesn't know how to read or like, you know, they have dyscalculia, dyscalculia, or I don't know how to say it, sorry. Or they have like, you know, some other condition going on. Um, that just isn't formally diagnosed and is getting overlooked, you know, this, the schools that they went to because they didn't have a lot of money for, like, living in a certain area where the schools were better, you know, the schools just didn't really, and, and this is, like, other time periods, too, when you think of it, if I have clients that are in their 50s and 60s, you know, the school systems back then were way different than they are for, like, my Gen Z and millennial clients, you know, like, they're you know, the school systems did change since then too. And there are more, you know, the healthcare systems have changed and the testing systems have changed and, you know, public school systems have changed. Um, colleges have changed, job jobs have changed, the, the economy has changed, like so much has changed. But I don't really have... I can't think of one client, honestly, of all the clients I've ever had on any of my caseloads in any sites through practicum or whatever that didn't have a trauma history and didn't have issues related to poverty that were currently impacting their, you know, stability in some way or another, whether that's having all these other issues with social things or uh, whatever it is that would make it so that they didn't have the ability to work full time at a job that earned enough money so they could actually support themselves. I, I have not come across one on my caseload and we might have, I think we've had some clients at the previous site where I worked at that did have money and they paid out of pocket because they liked the services. Uh, they didn't pay us, you know, uh, it goes through like a whole process where like the company sends the money somewhere else and all this kind of thing. Like they didn't pay us as individual therapists or group therapists or whatever we were, they didn't pay us. So that's kind of where I, where I come from on that is that it's just so frustrating. And, you know, it leads me to kind of question, like, what are we doing here, guys? Like, let's be real. What are we doing here? Are we really helping the people? You know, I get frustrated because I'm like, I don't feel like I'm helping anyone. You know, yeah, I help them on the surface at the beginning, at the start, but that's not good enough because we're always bumping up against these walls where I feel like we get to these situations with the medical equipment or the medications or the services that they don't qualify for or you know, the shelter programs being, like, so swamped that they can't even house people, you know, it's, like, or remember to, like, call the clients back to, like, help them on time, you know, and so I feel, the way it feels is, like, there's a brick wall, and I'm there with a little baby pickaxe, like, picking at the wall, trying to find, like, a solution to get through the little wall, 
And then there's people in the insurance that are just rapidly building this this wall out and patching up the wall as quickly as they can and blocking us from, you know, getting through the wall. And it's like, you know, I feel beat down by the system and I'm working to try to penetrate this system. And on the surface, it almost looks like to our clients that we are the system because we're so closely connected to the insurance because our direct contract is with them and we directly talk to the insurance branches we directly report from the insurance branches i get direct emails from the insurance branches um you know about like hospitalizations and stuff like that like they directly contact me um they tell us right away so um Um, yeah, that's kind of, you know, I, I have the options too. So I have the options on my end, leave the job because it's frustrating, you know, cause it, I just don't like that role. I don't like the role of being part of a broken system. I have the option of stay at the job and do what I can to just maybe not you know definitely not burning the bridges and like being loud and like you know just fight the system kind of like use you know so much assertive force that I'm like making um problems but um you know I do I do believe in helping the these populations of people who can't work to support themselves because of the life that they've had to endure with all the situations they've had to go through, that's how I see it. Um, the people that we work with, we work with them so tightly. Um, our clients, we work with them so tightly that I feel like if they could work, they wouldn't be enduring things the way that they are. You know, if they could work, they would work. You know, um, if they could get more money to not have to deal with all the stressors and risk that they're exposed to just from not having money. I mean, all it takes is like one landlord in an affordable housing program to be like, oh, you have a roach infestation. Um, sorry, you know, you're going to have to vacate the premises and move, you know. Um, and then what, you know, the housing voucher that they have covers that direct site. And so then what, you know, so, you know, I have the option to leave. I'm still strongly considering that. I don't really want to backpedal too much because it's like, how much do I need to really be wearing myself down in my young life, you know, to be you know, helping a system that doesn't want to help its own people because there's somebody at the top. There's a lot of somebodies at the top of these programs that aren't doing it. You know, I have options of learning all that I can and then creating my own system, my own program that works better. Um, that's one option. I have the option of, you know, you know, I'm trying to go these other indirect routes right now of learning about some of the mental health apps that are coming out and figuring out how to, you know, get into the, making those apps that contract with the, with the insurance and stuff like that. Like having my own direct service that I create, 
um, as a, as a, as something that people can be referred to, but that's not resolving all the major issues of like the stuff that the insurance doesn't cover. It's just offering another option. I could probably make one option that gets covered. I don't think I could make, make an option that would cover all the possible things that the insurance doesn't pay for. Um, but that would be the option is to find a way to make like a service or if there is a way to make multiple services um, that, you know, are free and actually help people in the holes that I'm seeing. Um, I don't know what that would take. Like that's, you know, how do you even like develop that? Like that just is a lot, you know, like I I know like on a small level about grant proposals and that kind of thing, but you know, if I'm going to stay in this field, it's, something's got to give. I, I can't really stay at this job as is um, with the with the barriers that we face as staff, you know, as well as the low pay. Um, I've got to get out of this job as it is. So I can't stay at the very least because of the pay rate. I can't stay at this point um, because at the moment, it's my main income source for the most part, because um, I'm pretty swamped lately, and I I just don't have so much extra energy to be contributing towards other projects right now. Like I do these projects, this uh, you know, the podcasting projects and things like that, and they can bring in some money, but I'm I'm still kind of figuring it out too. Um, with Anchor and everything, like, I'm more familiar with, like, with blogging and SEO through, um, you know, WordPress sites and even, like, YouTube, like, before they changed it so that you couldn't just easily monetize with, like, a, with a lower amount of, uh, um, subscribers, um, I was definitely more used to YouTube, um, because I was, like, interested in like tech repair like just like home repairs for like software and tech problems with certain popular gaming laptops and stuff like that um not that they all had problems but like you know I was very familiar with the products I used and I was able to identify some of the problems that the machinery had um so yeah I I you know I had a really frustrating, this has just been a frustrating experience lately. I don't know how it crept up on me, but, you know, I'm taking you guys through my journey with this and, you know, it's not, I'm not only going to be posting venting, (laughs) venting content about me, like complaining about my job and stuff, but it's like, you can probably tell, like, I care about what I do. I'm not just like, fuck it. I hate these people. I'm out by, you know, it's like, you know, I don't hate the people I work with. I I don't. I love the people I work with. I don't hate my clients. I love the clients. You know, I love the field of psychology. I love, you know, the kind of work that we can do that's, you know, possible for us to execute that we're able to kind of do. Um, I don't like all the stuff that we're not allowed to do or not able to do. Um, and all the underpaid issues, too. Um, that's a whole other issue of its own the contracts are are too limited. So we're constantly going to be forced to be bouncing through jobs. You know, if the economy keeps changing, you know, 
you know, I went from my first job site where it was low pay, but I kind of didn't care because I loved it so much, but I knew I couldn't stay there forever. And then I got into this site, which paid more than most of the other sites because their contracts were older and ours was newer. But now our contract hasn't changed with all the other contracts that have changed. So the pay is now less competitive where I'm at now. And even the previous site I was at now pays significantly more, like almost between five and ten dollars more an hour than what I'm already getting paid for the same job I just did. Um, You know, they if I was still there, I would have been getting paid now. I would have been getting paid between. 12 and between 12 and 7 between 12 and sorry I can't do math right now I'm really tired between 12 and um 17 dollars more an hour than what I was making two years ago um or a little like two and a half years ago 12 to seventeen dollars an hour more for the same job, different climate, different uh, staff there now, and some things have probably changed a little bit. But same job, same job description, same job I did for like five years, pays twelve to seventeen dollars more now. All of a sudden, as of July of twenty twenty two, they pay more now, um, and less than what I currently get paid. And so it's decisions like that. And it's like, okay, I could bounce back to that company and get back into that job and be getting paid more um, in a way. But then I'd still be losing money on, you know, transportation. I would have a higher stressed job, you know, faster pace, more crisis management, more severity of like immediate like crisis, immediate, um, you know, severity of symptoms right in front of my face you know, that's a lot more exposure. I mean, it, 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 it's something that takes its toll on me too, you know, to have to deal with that. And so it's like, yeah, I get paid more, but deal with that, you know? So that's where my head's at. That's where my heart's at. And, um, so with that, kind of all I have to really say, but thanks for listening.